Oh, hey there, listeners and juicers. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you have fallen in love with the Draw Your Dice podcast and want to help put some new fruit on the table, but don't feel comfortable making a monthly commitment, well, you can support the show via the ACAST supporter feature. No gift too large, nor too small. Just click on the link in the show description and know that I am sending you the strongest hug when you do so. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You don't need to fund at all. You can make an entire TTRPG on, like, essentially a $0 budget. My name is Jeremy Gage, and welcome to the Draw Your Dice podcast. This is an educational show involving all things tabletop role-playing industry. Listen alongside me as we hear from creators, entrepreneurs, and supporters about their personal best practices, principles, and philosophies. I encourage anyone from the budding game designer to a seasoned publisher and everyone in between to sit down with us and enjoy today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Draw Your Dice podcast. My name is Jeremy Gage, as you heard in the intro. But as always, these episodes are never about me. It is about a very special guest I've brought to the show today. This guest is criminally underserved on the social media. You have what, 19 followers on there right now for one of your accounts? And it is bullshit because (laughs) we're going to talk about a really great game today using a lot of things that I wish more RPGs did. This is also, this guest is also the designer behind Revenant World Games. I would like to bring to the show Clove Fulminata. (sighs) Thank you, thank you. Great audience here tonight. (laughs) (laughs) uh clove thank you so much for being here today it is an absolute pleasure uh thank you for having me yeah i'm I'm really excited to be on the show i've been listening for a Um, while now i think i've listened to almost every interview now so yeah oh well thank you thank you very much i that why didn't you tell me that before we started i'm (laughs) stunned uh Clove, as a thank you very much. As a brief start to this show, so we can get our wheels moving. Uh, why don't you give a brief introduction of how you present yourself to the world and to the internet, and please give any plugs or anything that you have. That way, I can get you all the dollars as people listen to these episodes. Sure. So yeah, my name's Clove Fulminata. I use they/them pronouns and also the neo pronouns pay, peer, pes. My studio is Vagabond Pen and Paper. Vagabondpenandpaper.itch.io is my itch page. 
Uh, you can find my Twitter at Clove RPG. And if you only want to see promotional tweets at Revenant World, which is that's the that's the account that only has a dozen or so followers. But I've I've, I've, got, I've got a few more on the on the main account, so mm-hmm. not doing too terrible. And yeah, I, I've been publishing tabletop role-playing games for a few years now. Started with Revenant World. I just put out the sequel to Revenant World, our Minerva. So yeah, I think that's that's about that's it. That's the juice. That's yeah. the juice. Awesome. Awesome. Additionally, as an extra icebreaker for listeners, would you kind of describe your sort of starting journey into the discipline, the hobby that is the tabletop game space? It could be video games too. And then what was maybe the first thing that got you into the groove of designing being a game author would you would you take us through that absolutely so i had no exposure to tabletop rpgs at all until i was in college and i i would get lunch with a friend every once in a while and one time they were talking about the D game that they had just started with a couple other friends, people we knew from high school. I thought it sounded really cool. And I was like, hey, how, how do I get in on this? So I was able to jump into their campaign of Lost Minds of Fandelver, the 5e starter kit. And we had a lot of fun with that. And some of the other folks recommended the Adventure Zone actual play podcast. And I had also, of course, never listened to an actual play podcast. So I checked that out. This is back when they were still in their first campaign playing D&D. But towards the end of that campaign, they do a little arc where Griffin McElroy put together this like very simple Power by the Apocalypse hack that just sort of takes the like sort of general story flow of the way that those games work and and put it into a little story arc that was meant to sort of tell this like broad story over a, a period of years and like that was pretty cool and he happened to plug another actual play podcast friends at the table that started at almost the same time as the adventure zone but they play a lot of power by the apocalypse games so the, i Thought that sounded really interesting because what I had, the little I'd heard of the system from the Adventure Zone got me interested in it. So I checked out Friends of the Table, listened to a little bit of them playing their first campaign of Dungeon World, and I, I, I was just, I was very excited by the the system. It it just particularly the way that the sort of back and forth structure of power by the apocalypse allows this like dynamic flow between the GMs NPCs and the player characters. And it, it just seemed a lot more dynamic than like D and D's rigid combat that I wasn't that much of a fan of. So I, I started looking into dungeon world and all that. And before our group had actually played any other published game besides dungeons and dragons, I, had worked together with my friend Ramona. You should follow her on Twitter at Ramona Starlight. She does art and stuff, and she helped me with world building and a little bit of illustration on Revenant World. But we worked together, and we made this like really rules light little PBTA hack to emulate the world of Homestuck, the web comic that we were both massively into in high school. So that was the first non-D&D game we played, was the little Homestuck PBTA hack that we put together. 
and we we adapted that really bare bones system. But again, it was it was mostly focused on like I, I hadn't fully absorbed all the different like aspects of the design philosophy of FUTA at that point. It was more just uh, a focus on the way that the flow of narrative and gameplay between the GM and the players went. I just really liked that like feeling that that dynamism that it brings so it was mostly focused on that like just combat mechanics and then like simple checks for other stuff instead of like pbta style moves you know but we used we used that little framework to to play some other games we did like a uh, a percy jackson hack with it and we played that so we 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 were uh, messing around with that before we ever brought another published game to the table and we we eventually brought monster of the week to the table i believe after the adventure zone started playing it and and then since then we've we've been like branching out into more stuff forge in the dark all that other indie stuff and i ended up taking what we had like started with the homestuck pbta hack and that was like the original seed that i used to develop uh revenant world and I, I still worked together with uh, Ramona on that. She helped me do some world building, like I said, as well as uh, a couple of illustrations for the book. And everyone helped uh, play test that. And then, yeah, I I put that out as my first published game in, I want to say November 2018, I think. At the time, knowing like nothing about publishing, I, I had thought when I was writing it, like, oh, you know, if I wanted to publish this, I would have to find a company to publish it. Right. But like that, you know, didn't pan out. And then I, I found out about drive through RPG and everything. I, I ended up laying out the game myself in Microsoft word, I think, and, you know, put it, put it out there myself. And it, it, it didn't make huge waves or anything, but everybody that I heard back from who had, who had bought it and, and played it or read it gave me really positive feedback. So that really encouraged me to, to keep designing and to read all sorts of more games and absorb more game design lessons. Cause you can, I feel like you can kind of tell that Revenant world is like from somebody who like, yes, is into the power by the apocalypse thing, but has also definitely played D and D. So, <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's about how it started. And how long have you been designing now for? I guess that makes it one, two, I guess it's been two and a half years since I put out Revenant World, because Revenant World, I, that one took a while to come to fruition, because I was sort of, like, just tinkering with it over a longer period of time, and like I said, I didn't even, like, have plans for laying it out and publishing it, mm-hmm. and then my second game, Summers of 17XDX, came out a little quicker than that it it came out the next summer i think so that that was that was less than a year between those it was a little bit of a shorter game a little smaller scope that was just doing some sort of experimental things with a gmless engine that seemed neat and then it again took a long while for my third big game our minerva to come out definitely in large part because of the pandemic that really that really kind of squashed some of my my creativity and my plans for like play testing for I was going to try to collect my own reference photography from places around here 
I was unable to do that once everything locked down. So that really pushed our Minerva back a ways, but it, it eventually came out in March of this year. And I'm, I'm really happy with, with how it came out. I feel like I've, I feel like there's like great leaps and bounds between each of my big releases. I I feel like I, I keep absorbing so much more like great design juice from other games that I can then sort of reprocess into more exciting new things. And in, in between Summers of 17 XDX and Arm Minerva, I put out a handful of Lyric games, which was a fun thing to dive into. And I definitely took some like lessons from that school of thought and put them into Arm Minerva. Mm. So yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, I guess it, yeah. So two and a half years, I think, since since I've been like seriously into designing, but there've been some fits and starts just because you know the way life can get in the way. Truly, truly that life can, can make thing can make you pivot when you don't mm-hmm. want to pivot. Thank you. Thank you for sharing all that. Yeah. So you haven't, I mean, you've been designing for ever since you started fit like ever since you finished your D and D campaign, kind of sort of true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You I, know I what just, I mean? Like, you, yeah, at some, I, at some rate, every GM is a designer. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. I guess I, I just, I, I don't have the, I don't have the dates for any of those things because they were just like <laughs> personal projects that would definitely never see the light of day. So I don't really have, I don't, I, I, I'm not exactly sure how, how long there was between that like very first little PBTA hack and Revenant World. But I think it definitely took at least like a year and a half, maybe two mm-hmm. years there. And I was still finishing up college and everything. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. And what did you what did you go to college for? I mean, you're still a person. I'd like to find out about you as well. I'm trying to do more intimate pieces here, if you're willing to share. Sure, yeah. I did a business administration, which I I I suppose has been helpful to some degree with this mm-hmm. uh TTRPG stuff. And uh, yeah, I, I've 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 always been interested in like being able to like take things that I've made and like turn that into something that I can like sell to people, I guess. I think that that Mm -hmm. that just is, is like the most, the most appealing career path to me. And I've, I've, you know, throughout my life, I've like bounced around different things that I wanted to do in that vein. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a video game designer. And when I was in high school, I like tried to learn unity and stuff and I just could not wrap my head around coding. Like it was just, mm-hmm. it was, it was just so opaque to me. Like I know there's like so many good tutorials and so many people like teach themselves it, but I just could not wrap my head around that. So mm-hmm. I, I guess sort of discovering TTRPGs was kind of like this really eye opening thing. Like, wow, like I can create these like cool interactive experiences with these cool worlds that I have ideas for. And I don't have to, code it in unity i can just tell people the rules and they have to execute them yeah uh a guest that i had on previously for the show amber seagar seagar we talked about or i had mentioned how i think that humans are computers like they're the operating systems and 
how any tabletop game you learn or pick up is software that you're trying to download. And, you know, some software is written well for your operating system. Some is not. You have a certain amount of RAM to execute or hard drive to store, right? So you're basically doing video games just in, you know, word to brain formats rather than (laughs) bytes to silicon. Is that... (laughs) What are the innards of a computer? You know what I I mean? (laughs) I wasn't able to figure it out. So, yeah, I I, I love that perspective. Yeah, that's great. Well, let's let's talk about this banger of a game, shall we? Thank you. Sure, yeah. Yeah, would you give a brief introduction of what our Minerva is and sort of, you know, what you do as a player in it? Absolutely. So, our Minerva is a GM-less slice-of-life game about the athlete children of undead gods. It's maybe my my most out there, like, weird setting, very, like, weird philosophical, metaphysical stuff going on. I think I mentioned it's the sequel to my first game, Revenant World. Revenant World was a sort of, like, coming-of-age adventure game similar to, in genre, to Homestuck or Percy Jackson or, like, things like that. And it was about, like kids from earth going into a different dimension where there was these undead gods called revenants that ruled over stuff that ruled over the planets of the cosmos in this other dimension and the revenants in that game served as faction leaders and like important npc allies and boss boss fights so in arminerva it it takes place roughly 150 years after revenant world And the idea is that these revenants have seized the sort of metaphysical engine that their progenitor gods used to create them and are now using it to create heirs for themselves. And you play as as these heirs, these children of of the revenants. And, And the revenants now pretty pretty universally uh, style themselves as the divine rather than revenants so you play as the children of the divine and you these characters are called they're collectively called the minerva and uh, a single one is called a minervum so it's it's sort of a a, a, a little I, I guess word play off of like the roman goddess minerva because the idea mm-hmm. is that the name came from one of the divine referencing the story of Minerva because these the Minerva uh, spring forth fully formed as like like adult demigods, just like Minerva from the head of Jupiter, and then that it, it got like delineated into a a like uh, plural of of Minerva. But anyway, so you you play as as these Minerva and the main thing the main sort of role that the minerva play in the world at this point in in history is that they compete for glory for their divine parents in the sport arena so they they don't really they don't have a choice in the matter that they're, they're consigned to compete in this violent sport it, it it's 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 like a theming thing of you know the the feelings of like parental expectations and the feeling like your life has been decided for you by someone else and all this stuff 
And so as a player in the game, you play out the scenes in the sport. You're competing against the other players. It's GM-less. You're trying to score on each other in this arena. But the actual bulk of the game is because the Minerva sprung forth fully formed, they never got to have like a childhood or a life that they ever got to self-determine. But they are these divine beings filled with this like divine power that's been like passed on from the old gods and everything in the lore. So while they're in sport, like experiencing these like intense emotions between each other and like fighting against each other and working with each other in the most intense moments of a match, they enter into a like dreamlike flashback where they have a memory of slice of life interactions with, with their opponents on the field, except now they're like their friends that they're hanging out with at the mall or whatever. And then like you play through that slice of life interaction and sort of the like things that you learn about each other and your relationship with each other in this imagined past that you never got to live, then allows you to color how you get the upper hand in sport. So, and both phases of the game are played with a deck of playing cards. You have a a hand of playing cards and each suit represents a different sort of well of emotion that you can draw on. So in, in sport, you're like the different suits are like, Hearts is like your your fighting spirit, you know. Diamonds is your your teamwork and and camaraderie. Clubs is disrupting the opponent's teamwork, and spades is like direct destructive violence. And then when you shift over to the town scenes, which are the slice of life scenes, hearts becomes friendship or romance. Diamonds becomes like. It's still sort of camaraderie or like teamwork, like sort of having a a partnership with another person that's based on aiming towards a common goal. Clubs becomes it's I think it's I believe it's like like rivalry, jealousy, and then yeah, rivalry, jealousy. Exactly what it says in the book. Great, <laughs> and then and then spades is antagonism or hate. So yeah, and and what you're trying to do with the cards is you have the hand of cards and you're trying to move the cards from your hand to your rail, just like moving them like up the table to another line of cards. And then when you get them up in your rail, you're trying to add them together to create a face card. So in in sport, when you create a face card, that means you get to score and that uh, activates the flashback to a town scene. And then a town scene, whenever you build a face card, it means that you create a connection with another Minervum, which is like you guys sort of sync up and you like figure out something about how you relate to one another. You, you like get on the same page about your feelings, whether that's positive or negative or something confusing in between. And then in, in sport, you're trying to move your cards from your hand to your own rail to build face cards. And in town scenes, you're trying to move cards from your hand to each other's rails to build connections with each other. So yeah, and and then there's a there's a third type of scene, duty scenes, which are uh, little 
like little solo scenes, almost like a little like mini solo game sprinkled in there where you can replace one of your town scenes with a duty scene where you sort of like pick from some prompts and describe an actual memory that your Minerva has of some other duty to their divine parent that they're carrying out off the field. So that might be like giving press interviews, that could be tending the temple of their parent. It could be doing a brand endorsement. It's very much this this mix of like like religious figurehead and brand icon. So yeah, that's that's sort of the the gist of what players do. But there's there's all sorts of little subsystems that I'm I'm very excited about and love to ramble about. There's like the so you play with standard playing cards, but then there's abilities that you get that allow you to put little stickers over the pips on the cards, and then those let you use the card in a different way. So one of them makes it so that like someone else's ability can't steal one of your cards. One of them makes it so that the card is worth double when you're using it to like make a face card. One of them like flips the suit of the card, all sorts of stuff like that. And that gives it a sort of like legacy game feel to it because you're, mm-hmm. you're putting these little stickers on your card that'll last between games and even, you know, between stories of like different characters because um every player makes a team of three minerva and you rotate between them each match which one you're focusing on so the the idea is that they're, they're all there in the match but you're sort of like spotlighting them for that episode and then they're the one that gets to participate in the the slice of life scene in this weird metaphysical dream memory world but with the there's a special sticker that you can put on one of your cards that adds the stars suit to the card so that's a, a, a special suit in addition to the four and that can allow you to do like that that unlocks abilities that key off of like personal growth and progress and additionally if you're able to build the the joker card the which is called the fool in the game like the tarot card you build that by having four cards that you've marked with a star and that all have the same value. And if you're able to use those to build the Joker card, then you get to end the story of one of the people on your team. And that's, that, that's the part of the game. That's like, it's, it's described in very loose terms. It's like very open to interpretation of what sort of happens to them. It just basically says like, you know, they get to move on from this and like discover a new truth, like like go on a new journey. And the, the game just tells you, like, discuss this truth, discuss the truth of the fool, and then retire them from the game, end the arc, and replace them with a new character. So you've got this rotating cast of the actual characters in the game, and the game's also designed to really accommodate a rotating cast of players because it's like very episodic with the different, you know, each each arc is over one match of the game. So it's very easy to drop in and out and it, it can accommodate different numbers of players. I've I've really enjoyed playing it as a duet. That's always really fun, but then you can also have up to 6 players. And it's it's just I I really like the variety that it brings to being able to like switch things up and and try out different pairings between characters, like have those uh, slice of life relationship scenes between 
characters that like haven't talked yet before and everything. Like you've got this big cast to like do fun things with and explore and learn about who they are as characters and everything. Let me tell you there were, there's tons to unpack there for sure. I'm excited to get into all of it. The first thing though, as I always ask for any of these, what was, why make our Minerva, why make a future or a sequel to Revenant world? Yeah, I think I just, I, I really enjoyed the world building of, of Revenant world. It, it was a lot of fun like putting together this this very strange science fantasy world but of course it was heavily inspired by like other media and everything and i think i just wanted to take that world and like push in a completely different direction look at a completely different set of characters a different like kind of person in the world that still shares some like strong thematic elements with the main characters of revenant world and just like see and as well like take the same world and push it in a completely different mechanical direction and just like see what can come out of that. Even with the world building, I wanted to do the world building in a very different way because Revenant world kind of has like this, like kind of long chapter that like gives the, the GMs like all this information about the world and like stuff to build off of little interconnected pieces to play with, which can be really useful for a GM game where like one person's coming up with like, a, a sort of like background plot that the characters will intercede on. But with a GMless game, it's a little bit harder to have like a lore dump because everybody kind of has to be on the same page. So a lot of the like lore and setting elements of this game are like very like sprinkled throughout the, the like different locations that you'll play in and everything's, I tried to keep things vague and evocative. I think that's a a catchphrase of Dale Kingsmill, the uh, D&D YouTuber. Yeah. Yeah. Come on the show. (laughs) Yeah. You know, reach out to her. She might. But yeah, so I I, I just really liked the, the, the chance to like take this world that I was really passionate about and then do something completely different with it and see how it looked. Like I, I, I think that was just like a very fun challenge. And like, it's like a, a cool little thing for people who have played the first game, but then it's also super approachable if you haven't, because it's like so different. So basically like the first page of the game is this like little sort of like stylized telling of what has happened in the 150 years since Revenant world. And then that's like, that's it. And then there's, there's like not constantly referencing back like, Oh, well you won't understand what this is, but here's what it was in Revenant world. Like there's not really any of that. There's, there's a lot of references to things from the world of Revenant world, but that will be like nice for fans to catch, you know, little Easter eggs, but it's, it's nothing Mm -hmm. that like a new person wouldn't understand, which, which I was kind of important to me. Cause you know, it's, it's, it's a very different game. It, it might appeal to very different people. It's, it's hard to say, but yeah. So I, I just think that that was a, a fun direction to take the, the world that I had started building. And, and it's, I also just really like the idea of like taking a setting and then like, okay, what does that setting look like when something like huge in it changes and, and like how, how different can the same setting be while still like, 
keeping certain themes intact and having certain big players still around that that's always a lot of fun and that's that's something that i've done a lot with my home games as as a gm there we had we had this one campaign where we played it's been a while i'm trying to remember exactly how it went i think we yeah we we had so we had a little campaign of 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 dnd that i gm'd and then we had a sequel campaign where like because of the sort of like it was like there was there was like a time travel shenanigan and then some like weird like cataclysmic events with like multiple evil gods trying to destroy shit but it ended up being that the sequel campaign we played in Blades in the Dark cuz it was like oh the, this this city that was like part of the setting of the first game has now been like encased in this energy field, like the city in blades in the dark. And then, you know, crime is running rampant in it. And there's, you get to have these like daring scoundrels in it. And that like lets you shift into a completely different genre and like big things in the world change, but it's still the same world. And it lets you have like fun little callbacks and references. And yeah, I'm just a, a big fan of that storytelling concept, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it sounds like all summed up it's it's a matter of like you just you loved what you created in revenant world and you wanted to just sort of manipulate that clay into a into a different form and i think that's fucking wicked i think it's absolutely cool thank and you i loved i love the arm and nervous setting i have a strange fascination with like the concept of the underworld spirits undeath so it like hits some unique strings for me and i'm becoming more and more enthralled with like the slice of life storytelling or also like the coming of age stories as well i think those are interesting to me to because i watch a ton of anime and a lot of the shonens are about that coming of age uh protagonist growth yeah So, you know, some of my, the character creation process is very cool. Like very, very cool. I love that it's almost like a, uh, so as always, everyone, if you're listening to this, you're like, what is the full character creation process? I can only make this show like just about 90 minutes. So (laughs) we probably won't get into every page of this game or exactly how every mechanic works, but I always recommend go buy the game, give it a little read, and then you can get some designer context, which is wicked cool. Um, But the character creation process is really, I found it really fascinating that you went for this like troop style play for each player where they each get three Minerva that builds their team, the sports ball. And I also like this duplicity of like the false memory concept Mm -hmm. of we didn't have a childhood or we didn't get to grow up. We are what we are now. And they're sort of self-creating these imagined instances. And I don't know if you're familiar with the anime Jujutsu Kaisen at all, but uh, I've heard if, of it, but I, I, that's okay. I can't remember. There's a character in there. His name is Toto and he meets our protagonist and Toto has this really strange character quirk where he asks what another like 
person's taste in a significant other is. And depending on their answer, he like gives them basically a thumbs up or a thumbs down in his brain. But when he finally gets a thumbs up from our protagonist, he has like this weird sweeping internal memory (laughs) where they're mid like tournament arc fighting and he just (laughs) transports to high school. And the protagonist is suddenly going to the same high school as him. (laughs) And he reveals to the protagonist in this false memory that like he tries to tell the love of his life, like tries to confess his love to someone and she rejects him. And then like the protagonist is giving like a heartfelt, like it's okay, man. (laughs) And like in his brain, they've been brothers for forever. (laughs) And he comes out of this memory is like, I finally met my brother. It's like, what just happened? It's like the strangest character quirk I've ever seen come out of left field, but it's, but it's that's, so that's cool. A, that sounds exactly like our Minerva. That's wild. Absolutely. And it's so crazy that like, I'm reading this. I've seen that. I mean, uh, I, I think the episode is like episode. If you don't care for context or want to watch the whole thing, or if you, don't really like anime i think it's like episode 12 or 13 where they fight and this moment happens so if you want to give that a quick watch at at some point during your day i highly recommend it 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 really comes out of left field but i find it so interesting that there's this juxtaposition between these two sets of memories because and additionally like tack on to that how you do this really rapid phase change for the Mm -hmm. game between the sport phase and the town phase, or even the duty phase. And I love what's also coupling this together and why I'm bringing this particular piece up is that the art style for the the art version of the book that you, you provide a full text document version, but you also have a very beautiful, well-done art version is this Thank juxtaposition you. between the photography backgrounds and yes. the illustration characters, almost like they're inserting themselves into a world that isn't really like for them. And that's a very cool parallel to draw there that I don't know if everyone gets when they look at it, but I got it immediately. I was like, Oh wow. It's what brought together for me was the, it's an image of a backseat of a car. And there's like a jock looking green skinned character just laying in the backseat. That's so like, it feels like the illustration is there and yet it doesn't at the same time. And it's a very interesting art piece that, that was really evocative for me. So that was very cool, but full circle back to character creation. I find it really interesting that you did this troop style character creation where do you, I haven't played it yet. I've only read the game. So I'm in the theory mode of it until execution, does character creation take a while depending on the number of players? Like you're creating yeah. three characters for each player. That's so if you have four players or it, it, it does take a while, but it's also like the format is basically just that you're doing a personality quiz together. Yes. So like yeah. it, it can also like slap out like really quickly, especially like I, I really like how in the characterizations I've done, it's like, you have the first question and you're you, like, you you might sort of like hem and haw over it a little bit. And like, you ultimately might even just pick like a random answer for it and play just whatever mm-hmm. card is on top of your hand. But then like, once you have that, then the table like starts talking about like, Oh, like 
I'm starting to see what kind of character this guy is mm-hmm. when we get mm-hmm. to the second question. Okay, I've definitely got to pick this answer for the second question. Like, that's obvious. And then for the third question, like, oh, let's juxtapose that with this. And then that gives them, like, an interesting, like, like rounded character to them and everything. And, like, now I'm really excited to play this guy. I hope I get him in the draft. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you still draft them at the it's it's absolutely crazy and bonkers in terms of like what I've been exposed to in uh, a character creation process, but I think it's really cool and it's exactly as you say. I can also see a version in which like the character creation really becomes like it starts to accelerate, right? The first yeah. character maybe is like honestly probably really slow. Like everyone's mm-hmm. like throwing some pieces onto this Minerva but character two, character three, and then four is like feeling really quick because you have characters one, two, and three to really balance off and create different pockets of story you want to tell or maybe something that's not explored or maybe uh, you get a lot of, you want to explore some different choices. And what's also interesting about the character creation because there's so many kind of pieces to this, I would find it rare, absolutely rare to get a similar game between like two tables, right? Even if you're Mm -hmm. playing with like similar player circles, I would, I would find it hard to find someone that says like, Oh yeah, we did the exact same thing because not only do you pick your, uh, you're creating the Minerva, you also attach them to a a parent God or a team essentially sort of their benefactor, which is also another piece of variable manipulation. There's just a lot of moving pieces, which is for me, very cool. I love, games like this because i like to have that work sort of like cut out for me of like who's in the story and i don't really have to create a ton of npcs or something i like sort of uh the game to do it for me to some effect so it's very the big word here is it's robust it's a very robust character creation and i think it does a lot of things well and it i don't think it misses at all Thank but you. this is my bias. The the other thing that helps ameliorate the potential of like a long character creation is like, like I was saying, it's like very good for variable play groups. So yeah. even if you want to have six players in your campaign, you might do character creation where like players A and B get together and run character creations and then players like C and and D get together to run character creation. And then like, Mm. uh, and then maybe like players like, Oh, how many have I said so far? ABC players (laughs) like E E and F still need to make their characters, but then like players B and C can be like, Oh, I want to help with the, with the questions, even though I won't get to draft any of them because they're for you guys. Mm. Like we've done Mm. that a lot with, with our groups is like Mm. if, if some of us already have characters made and we want to bring someone else into the campaign, we'll still play character creation and then it's just that only the new players get to draft out of the ones that we mm-hmm. make. So that that's always really fun. You know, it's also really fascinating because you brought it up again in a different way, but you, you mentioned how you create sort of this legacy concept with the decks, right? With the stamping of the decks. Yeah. And you know, what's really interesting. Cause I know it changes between story, but there, there might be a hack in here somewhere or maybe like an optional rule or something where you can, it's almost like a, trading uh, a trading card game right like tcg where you could draft a team pick from this group and maybe there's a version of play 
where you don't do a character creation. You just bring your team to like another person who's played our Minerva. Mm-hmm. And like, oh yeah, I have a team that I drafted from my other circle of friends. You just want to play with the two of us and like yeah. have our teams clash. I think that'd be so yeah, fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that it, it works like so well because the only thing is just like, okay, it's just that these characters don't have personal history yet, but that's the mm-hmm. whole theme of the game. So like jump yeah. in with them. It, it works great. Yeah, I, I think it's really cool that I could bring, like, oh, shit, let me see. I don't want to look at the document. If I can bring a team of Crow Claws, right? Is that right? Is that a team in there? I think that's uh, a team. The, the Crow Claw 9 Black Falcons. Yeah. Oh, I have to say the whole thing. <laughs> well, no, I'm just saying the, you gotta the, say team, the whole the team, damn thing. The team is the Black Falcons. They're from the oh. planet Crow Claw 9. <laughs> damn it uh yes the black falcons uh, that's some high q energy out there for everyone who may have <laughs> not seen that anime or not that was the other thing too a lot i get a lot of like sports anime energy from this both the sort of slice of life ones like high q or hajime no ipo but then i also get like sort of the super subtle super powered ones like prince of tennis or kokoro no basketball those are really interesting touch points for, for me personally when I when I saw this. And I also get I guess I have to ask you, you seem really influenced by like the young adult fantasy sort of mm-hmm. style of fiction. You mentioned Percy Jackson earlier. I got a lot of that from reading Our Minerva. I also get like some Degrassi energy with the town phase stuff. Is that just something that like you're so enamored by that it kind of fits into all of your your games to date? Yeah, I it 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 doesn't come up in in everything. Like I don't think there's really any of that energy in like Summers of Seventeen XDX, but that's definitely like I, like throughout high school and middle school too. I guess I, I I'm like I was like super super into like young adult like you know coming of age adventure stuff you know. Percy Jackson what is Percy Jackson is still my favorite but you know other stuff there's like you know 39 clues even Harry Potter which has now been ruined for us but you know all, all sorts of stuff and even now like I, I really enjoy reading young adult books even though I'm not the target audience anymore because they're just you know I think that they're they're still relatable I was a young adult and they're you know they they're, they just like they're they're just really fun, you know. That they, they mm-hmm. I obviously I branch out and read other stuff now too, but I've I've still got a, a big soft spot for for YA fiction, and of course I, I mentioned Homestuck before was was massively into that in high school, and that, that's that's you know not not a not a novel, but still like has very strong like YA adventure energy. So yeah. Um, I love it. I get. It. I mean, I feel the same way. I watch a ton of shonen anime. They are what they are. It's about a kid that gets superpowers and tries to learn the responsibility of those. Not a ton of things break that formula. I'm here to eat the popcorn and enjoy mm-hmm. it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's a very cool thing. It's just something don't, I enjoy. Don't fix what uh, ain't broke. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. So for like you mentioned earlier, there are a ton of subsystems inside of inside of our Minerva, especially since you're using playing cards, which I, is another boon for me. I want to see way more playing card style games. I know that dice are hot and a lot of people think that like D6s are super accessible, but they're not. I think there's always a playing card deck 
in a house. Yeah. You've played Go Fish, you've played War, you've played uh, Slapjack, you've done a bunch of things. Have some poker, Texas Hold'em games at your house. And, and I, I mean, like, always- pe- people are, like you're saying about the D6s, people are like, oh, everybody has a D6. But it's like, yeah, everybody has, like, a D6 in their Monopoly <laughs> set. They, they don't have... They don't have the pool of D6s that you need for a bunch of dice pool games. And they can get them just as easily as a set of polyhedral dice. I I think at least. Like, we have Amazon now. You you can get any set of dice you need for a couple bucks. (laughs) But, but yeah, but, but. But everybody has a deck of playing cards, at least, I feel like. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I, I, And not I only think, that, you can yeah. run down to your local Walgreens and just pop in and buy yeah. a pack, right? Yeah. Like, you don't need to find a specialty. Oh, I guess Walgreens also sell, I think I've seen it, uh, sell five dice or some shit of D6s or whatever. But just in case that's not true for all Walgreens out there, yeah. uh, it's really easy to go into, like, a gas station or something and pick up a deck of cards as mm-hmm. opposed to, like, trying to find a hobby store or wait for your Amazon order. Like, yeah. you can crunch out a deck of cards if you need to. So, But I love the affordances you give to a lot of Like, it's a ton of work you've put into this book to come up with prompts for every single suit <laughs> and number combination in addition to coming up with the two different sets of phases for all the suit combinations and the counter system for the sports side of the phase, like there's some nice gambling elements in there. Yeah. Was there, why I bring it up is like, were there any particular like mental hurdles or struggles or challenges in, in any portion of design? Like what was the most challenging bit for you when you were writing this game? Hmm. That's a good question. I, hmm. What had the infinite hamster wheel turning? <laughs> like, yeah, I just don't yeah. understand what I'm doing here. Or was there like a darling you had to cut that you wish you could have kept, but it just didn't make sense for this game? There, I, I do kind of have one of those. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm like looking through the table of contents, seeing if there's something that I remember really struggling with. Cause I, I, I mean, something that that always like trips me up a little bit is anytime there's like currencies, be be they like mm-hmm. l- literal or just like different. Like, here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact: you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this Improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improved jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The, like, economies within the mechanics, if you, if you know mm. what I'm saying. Resources and it, stuff. Yeah, it, it, it's always hard to figure out, like, like you kind of just have to take a wild guess at, like, how much of a resource you should give to people and how much everything should cost until mm-hmm. you like do the first play test. And like, you know, not, I feel like I've, you know, seen some conversation about this around and everything that like you, not every game needs to be play tested and everything. And I, I, you know, totally agree with that. I don't think everything has to be like, like tested out to death, but like for me personally, I feel a lot more comfortable with something that I'm like, like mathing out like that where it's like, all right, mm. I, I just need to guess it and then get it on the table. Cause I, I can't figure this out just in my head. So yeah. like the, there was a lot of tweaking with like how big the hand size should be, how much Brio you get from different things, how much Brio the different abilities should cost. But like at some point you sort of like you get the feel for it and then you can like fill out the rest of the stuff, which is, mm. it's always nice to have that little breakthrough, I think. But in terms of a darling that I had to cut, there, there's this concept that I, I guess now, now like twice I've thought that I was going to use it and then I don't. I so I I had like I had a lot of different ideas for Armor Never Owners and it's very like early stages. You know, I, I was being inspired a lot by like lyric games and stuff, and I was like, okay, so. Like a big part of this game is that you have these like slice of life things where you're going to like different local spots and sort of just like enjoying each other's company or, or, you know, getting really mad at each other or whatever you're doing there. But you're still, you know, enjoying sort of a a public space that you can hang out in. So I had this idea that like, what if some aspect of the game Oh no, I remember how this actually started. My one of my very first mechanical ideas for the game was that it would have some sort of uh, fantasy football component where Mm -hmm. some sort of statistic or resource that you had in the game was based on something outside of the game. Like, like how in fantasy football, you, you get the the points for how the 
how the players that you chose do. So I was thinking about having it literally be based off fantasy football things like, like, you know, play fantasy football and the points you get convert to stats or cards or something. But, but that seemed a bit, ended up seeming a bit daunting. And then when I was thinking of the like more lyrical stuff and the stuff about the slice of life, I was like, what if you get like bonuses from oh and um there's a specific word what are they called it's it's a certain type of game it's a oh my god i can't it's it's like a it's it's a game it's at least like adjacent to lyric games and they're like games that you play just while going through your everyday life are they pervasive games i don't know if that's right someone will know well i think gian shim makes some games that are like this yeah, well, whatever they're called, I'm sure somebody will somebody yeah. will let us know. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was uh, getting ideas from that, and I was like, oh, what, what if instead of like it being based on a fantasy football, what if you get points in the same style for like doing things in your day to day life that are like just going out and enjoying things, like taking photographs of like flowers or like cool things that you see on the road, or like just various stuff like that. But then, you know, in in addition to that, like potentially being a little bit daunting to incorporate into a game that has like a bit more crunch to it, instead of just having that stand on its own as like a a cool experience, the pandemic happened. And then I was like, Oh, well, people can't do that. So I, I can't even do that. So, so that got cut. And then the game I'm working on now, I had the thought again, I was like, Oh, what if for this game, I'm, I'm working on a game now that like one of the mechanics is like looking at like a big illustrated map and like pointing things out on it. And I was like, what if there's an additional mechanic where if you take photographs in real life or find cool photographs on the internet, you can like bring those in and use it as a, as a like landmark, the same way pointing mm-hmm. things on the map is. But, uh, at least with the current draft I have now, that once again did not get incorporated into the the final gameplay concept. <laughs> so one of these days, I'm gonna have a game where you like go out and take photographs of stuff, and then that that lets you do cool things in the gameplay when you're at the table. Because I, I really like that general idea of having a thing to do away from the table that gives you a mm-hmm. benefit at the table. I think I think that's a really fun thing because there's even in like even in like really traditional games, like take Pathfinder or something like a really crunchy traditional game. Mm-hmm. People talk a lot about how building characters and like planning out your upgrades and stuff, whether it's for a campaign that you're actually playing or one that you hope to play <laughs> one day is like, is like a major part of the game. Like you're playing when mm-hmm. you do that. And like, that's one of the big appeals of the game is that you have lonely fun. I've, I've heard it called. So I, I, I just like the idea of taking that, like, like ways to think about the game away from the table and like having that turn into an explicit mechanic rather than like an implicit emergent one. Like it is in that mm-hmm. case. So, yeah, I, I, I think that's, a neat idea. I, I'm pretty sure I saw a while back Nem from Sandy Pug Games talking about a similar thing. I think they incorporated that idea into Renaissance. I think is the one where when you're away from the table, you you like build a playlist that then like does cool stuff in the game. Mm-hmm. I I think that's the right game. Let me 
Yes, yes, this this is the right game. In, in Renaissance, you play as a gang of revolutionaries using real-life music playlists to cast powerful magic and fight an ongoing street war against the Hello? fascist forces of Neo Kletgau. Oh. I don't know if that's how you say that. But yeah, so I uh, that's just that sort of idea of like putting things together away from the table that have a sort of that that whole concept of like building mechanics explicit mechanics for being away from the table that like because you know it's it's sort of a part of playing a TTRPG campaign is thinking about the TTRPG campaign when you're not actually at the table, especially when you have trouble scheduling as lots of us do. So yeah, I haven't, I haven't quite found a way to make a mechanic like that work yet, but it's something that I keep thinking about. There is, there is an idea I had a while back that was similar in, in vain of using your town, like going out and getting a map of your town like a roadmap or something like yeah. that and marking like different cool locations, like locations you think are cool in the mm-hmm. town and then doing like a sort of trad adventure shadow verse version of that. Ooh. So like you could use, it's almost like, like the anime persona, like persona five uh-huh. or four, how there's a lot of negaverse versions of, of things of people and or locations, which I think would be really interesting. So like, for example, I live in Cleveland and we have like the terminal tower and, you know, I think of a version where you could play at home and just like, yeah, Terminal Tower, put a picture in it. What does that look like? But I also think of a version where, like, the mechanics are light enough that you could go to the Terminal Tower yes, and yeah. play and do, like, sort of like a real-time yeah. situation, which would be cool. Could be almost like a like a LARP hybrid type mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I definitely had a little bit of that thought with our Minerva, too, because, like, a big thing about all the town locations is that they're all places that exist right here where I live that are, <laughs> are, are either like actual hangout spots. It's a mix between like hangout spots and then locations that are sort of like in the background of your day to day when you're walking around the town that like you never really look into unless like mm-hmm. someone, you know, works there or whatever, like the, mm-hmm. the, the factory district, the laboratory. I have no idea what they do at the big laboratory campus down the street. So that makes it sort of like, it, that makes it like mysterious and interesting. And so like, that's why mm-hmm. that one was included. But uh, s- since there, there are locations that are like right here, I, I definitely had the thought of like, Oh, how could I do it where it's like when you go to the location, you go there in real life. But, uh, <laughs> but the the way that I that the mechanics ended up working out with like, like you mentioned earlier, the sort of like quick flipping between different scenes and different locations and stuff like going like mm-hmm. from sport to a town location to sport to a different town location. It just didn't end up working for this version yeah. but but i i love that idea that's even like you said just using like a map of your hometown to run like like void heart symphony or something you know like yeah. a persona style yeah. game that would be so cool be wicked wicked sick yeah yeah i definitely and like you could play at your favorite diner a, a park trail something like that how yeah. hard is it to carry like I don't know, a deck of cards or dice with you or something, then a little, little dice box, if it really came down to it. But mm-hmm. what does, and it, the other thing that's interesting about that thought too, is like, if you, if you could figure out a game that wasn't quite a, quite a LARP was a little bit more like a tabletop 
Because I'm sure whatever we're talking about right now is mm-hmm. some sort of LARP game that yeah. like maybe yeah. neither of us have been exposed to. But what does different like season or weather look like when you try to play this game, right? You don't... Ooh. I think there'd be an interesting way of like, is it raining outside? Go find, go outside, go find a shelter somewhere and play in the rain or whatever yeah. I think would be cool. Maybe like provide some form of like laminated character sheet or whatever. Or something you can use with your phone. Well, rain whatever yeah i think there'd be something really interesting there what if like oh i I can imagine like like probably like a very like light like lyric style game Mm -hmm. where like you print out a sheet and then you do like play it in the rain and where the raindrops fall on the sheet does things like how cool would that be gotta get people a laminator though well i guess you could sell it in the book well I know there's like, sorry, my name, my, now my mind's in business mode of like, okay, now how do I get people like the proper material to execute this idea? Is it a whiteboard? Uh-huh. Do I send them a whiteboard? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. I've, yeah. I've got a little laminator, like a, a single page laminator. Do you want to laminate for every person <laughs> that buys that game? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Are you in the business of lamination now? <laughs> As long as not too many people buy the game, it's fine. <laughs> it's got a cap. It's got a yeah, cap on the limited edition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Our Minerva is is really I think it does some really interesting things with the kind of task switching of the imagination playground, I think is what all this chatter is uh leading me towards that there's a really cool instance of having the high octane action of the sport phase Mm -hmm. and then having sort of like the surreal imaginary slice of life that is the town phase yeah and if you're really like jonesing to find out a little bit more about your own personal character you have the the duty phase that you can Mm -hmm. commit to right and that's the you know for people just to prove that i read the game duty (laughs) phase is basically like what you're basically the spokesperson for your parent, right? Uh, mm-hmm. and it's also being like a sports celebrity in a little bit of a way as well. So, yeah. you know, putting on a cool outfit or going down the uh, red carpet or any of those scene instances. Because I also imagine those young adult like montages, especially when it's like a, either like a rich teen or like a popular teen or something like that of flashbacks to like signing someone's autograph like a like a famous actor in your school or some ish like that those definitely like remind me of those sorts of moments and mm-hmm. especially in, like anime as i've seen like sailor venus is a great example from like the sailor moon series of someone who's like both an idol and also a superhero and is living like this double life but also trying to put up like prop up her own brand while making relationships with her friends so yeah i think it's I think you've done something really cool in the storytelling department for this. And then on top of that, you've also got some very cool like subsystems. Like I love the sort of like almost, it's almost like a sort of magic, the gathering feel of the, the stack, the like spell stack for the counter phase. Like when, when you're trying to score a point during the sports phase and how you're like doing either the, hard counter or the under counters and you're trying to like bait out cards from your 
or you can bait out cards from your spot, if you will, while you are the drive or the, or vice versa as well. I think that it's all, I think there's, it's feel it's brimming with tech and it's like a big game. Like I would consider this like a big written game. There's lots of prompt energy. There's lots of affordances for all of the cards you use, all the questions you have for character creation. Like you have written a lot in this. Thank you. Yeah, I, I really like you, you mentioned that it like it really has like a, a competitive card game feel. And like I I definitely didn't want to go like full card game, you know, because that yeah. just that requires like so much like play testing and like math knowledge and everything to make it work out. But like it it's still like I, I really like how it really does feel like that phase really does feel competitive between everybody. It gives mm-hmm. it like this very cool, like, uh, like what's the, I'm looking for that, that term that people find pretentious and don't like ludonarrative synergy. It gives <laughs> it a, a, a ludonarrative synergy there that, that I like, because, you know, you're like, <laughs> especially when every time I've played with my boyfriend, he's always like so competitive in the sports phase. Yeah. Um, and, the, and then you get like pulled out of it. And it's like, okay, now you have to be friends now. Uh, and it's sort of like, it's, it's like, you know, I, I, I really like the way that that like it gives you those different sort of like vibes between the different mm-hmm. phases and everything. I and, think what's uh, in- yeah, I was going to say, I think what's interesting uh, about that, too, is you've captured this really interesting like back and forth energy not just between like the sports phases and questions, but also like the pacing of the sports phase and the town phase. Like there, it feels like a sport in the sense that truly anything could happen. Like anything could turn the tide. And Mm -hmm. so you're watching an offensive play go off in a football game and suddenly, you know, a bad toss enemy team receives and now the whole thing is flipped on its head and the energy in the stadium has shifted. Mm -hmm. And so I find it really fascinating that you've captured that on a mini level and on a macro level for the game. Thank you. Yeah. I, I like the, the thing that I like that I'm like most happy with, with the game is just like how, at least with, with all the groups I've played it with, like how well the, how well it flows. Cause it's like, it, mm-hmm. it it's it's pretty structured it's it's like turn based through like every phase but like because it uses the sort of popcorn initiative i think it's called where yeah yeah it like it it stays feeling dynamic you you're like always having choices and then like you, you have like a lot of control over the pacing of your turn because it 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 doesn't feel like you're just waiting for your turn because of like the way it plays out. I think because like the way that the different steps of the turn are like a setup and like a scene setting, and then like a burst of action, and maybe like a little back and forth of defense. Like it, it. I guess it maybe captures a little bit of the like spirit of what I really liked with the Power by the Apocalypse back and forth, but with like mm-hmm. very different underlying mechanics. And and I was I was very happy with how. You know that that works with the the sports action scenes, and then it it worked to me surprisingly well with the slice of life scenes. Like I was, yeah, I, I was kind of worried that putting so much structure into a scene that's literally just about like 
hanging out and figuring out if you're friends or if you're pissed at each other or what would like feel overbearing or make it feel unnatural. But like from what I've played, it like really helps people like get into a really Mm -hmm. cool role playing back and forth that like really feels like it pulls you into this structure of a slice of life scene where, where there are like, you know, there's not any big stakes, but it's still like, we want to know what happens to these characters and we want to know how they're interacting with each other here. So I'm really happy with how that turned out. Yeah. And you know, for the listeners at home, not to get too into it, but like some of the town scenes have little mini game draw phases in them. Mm -hmm. Are you driving a car? What movie are you seeing? I don't want to get into the table, but you better go read the book. (laughs) Any last bits you want to leave for our Minerva before we shift into uh, a new topic here, Clove? Sure. I, I did want to highlight that with the duty scenes, the, the ones uh, I wanted to just mention sort of like the, the thing that got me thinking about that is that the entire concept of all the different duty scenes was built around the fact that I, really wanted a mechanic where you get to describe like a wild red carpet outfit. That was the Uh whole, that is the one duty scene that then made me make the 15 other duty scenes, I think. (laughs) So yeah, I I just really wanted to have that possibly. I think that, 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 Focus might might have been a bit inspired by the way that a lot of times on Friends of the Table, a lot of the players will talk about different outfits from different fashion shows that they're that they say that their characters are wearing and stuff. And I mm-hmm. just I just find that really fun. I, I think the 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 whole thing of like the moment in a game where you stop and you're like, wait, what cool outfit is your character wearing? <laughs> I just really wanted to have like a mechanic where you have to do that and you have to give us some details and like yeah and then similar thing for the town mini games like you mentioned a handful of them have mini games and the the one mini game that i really wanted to have in there is the local restaurant mini game Mm -hmm. where you Mm -hmm. get to order something on the menu i thought that that was just so fun i i love in like like a jrpg or whatever if you go to a restaurant you get to order like normal food but then it gives you like extra magic or extra health or whatever like that i I just i really think that that's like a fun thing especially because like you know that really lines up with the like combination slice of life and like uh supernatural action thing and that's like a thing in persona and everything Mm -hmm. so i really wanted to have that and that menu is actually based pretty directly both in aesthetic and the items that are on it from my actual favorite local restaurant here. And I, I, I don't know if I should give them a shout out because like, I don't know for sure if the people that own it are like cool people, <laughs> I guess. Sure, uh, I should sure. maybe vet them before doing that. But, uh, but yeah, that was the, the inspiration for that. And I, one, one of my like favorite tiny mechanics in the game is that, so like with the character creation we talked about, it's, you know, you're answering like personality quiz questions essentially, except they're all geared towards being like a weird supernatural athlete celebrity. And the answers that you pick give you your character's tendencies, which are both like 
they're basically like tags like in fate or something that you can like Mm -hmm. invoke in the town scenes but they also each have a unique skill tree attached to them and you unlock parts from that skill tree in the same style as like a MOBA game where every match you start with none of them and then you get to choose which path on the skill tree you unlock throughout Mm. the match so so I really like that mechanic but that's not what I was bringing up to wrap back the the only way to give an existing Minerva that you've already created and been playing as an entirely new tendency, you can only do that through that local restaurant mini game. You have to mm-hmm. order the local bottle of wine, which is the most expensive thing on the menu, and that's the only way to add an extra tendency to your character. And I just I it's it's like really silly but i I just really like that that that's the mechanic for that it it just it just feels very fun and idiosyncratic to me i love it because it reminds me of like you have to do this really specific it's i don't know if you you've mentioned jrpgs but i don't know if you play like final fantasy 10 there is a mini game you have to do in to get one of the secret weapons where there's a planes of lightning that like it rains lightning bolts every once in a while on the planes. And you have the, when you get hit by it, you lose health, but even if you're not in an encounter, but you can click a button to reaction, dodge it. You have to dodge 300 of these lightning (laughs) bolts to unlock this character's uh, secret weapon. And it just reminds me of like these really extreme side quest things like, small like hidden easter eggs mm-hmm. or like you have to do an entire like it's not part of the main game but you have to fight all the monsters in the arena to unlock this item like i think that's really interesting and very mm-hmm. cool it, it kind of ties into the idea i mean it's it's not ex- exactly the same thing because like you know like the I should, having it be like like a thing that you almost discover in a location in world mm-hmm. is a little bit different than the thing I'm about mm-hmm. to say. But I've been seeing a lot of talk recently about putting achievements in tabletop role playing yes. games. And I yeah. love that idea. I, I know they're doing it in Monster Care Squad. I've seen a couple other mentioned that I, I can't bring to mind right now, but I, I think that's a really fun idea. And I might have to do that for the game I'm working on right now because it's it's a game based on FPS games. So like. Ooh gotta have achievements in that right yeah yeah 10 headshots same same round (laughs) killing it give me that mvp award play of the game give me play of the game thing on on the show recently i know i talk about trends and tips after we talk about the game a little bit but i also open the floor to the guests talk about because i want to treat the show as a forum for the guests to speak rather than myself because i'm here to learn not talk uh i ask guests i've been asking guests recently to bring up topics that they want to talk about in our industry in our space or for themselves or something like that. So Clove has brought to the attention of how to go from a sort of no budget (laughs) business plan to do tabletop games. And this is in contrast to on this show, we talk a lot about Kickstarter. We talked a lot about itch funding or alternatives to Kickstarter. And this is just sort of like another piece of the puzzle outside of those two things. So Clove, why don't you sort of open up 
what what did you mean when you brought that that topic up to me? Yeah. So yeah, I I think that you know as you say you talk a lot about kickstarters and you know alternatives to kickstarter which are <laughs> I I think are all like great. It's it's like crowdfunding is like a great opportunity to to be able to get like a a budget that you normally need some sort of like publisher, some sort of gatekeeper to get. But I just think that that doing a crowdfunding effort can be very daunting and very stressful mm-hmm. and uh, and then if if you have these like big plans where like you want to like hire a certain amount of people and all this stuff for your project and you need to crowdfund for it and then you don't hit your goal like your project kind of falls apart potentially or you have to like massively mm-hmm. scale it back so i i think like if you don't feel up for that responsibility. And it's also a huge responsibility to run a project like that. And you got to, you know, deal with the backers and all that. So I, I think that it's just important for people to realize that like when they hear about all that stuff, it's a great option if it sounds good to you. But if that sounds stressful to you that like, you don't need to fund at all. You can make an entire TTRPG on like, essentially a zero dollar budget my my first couple games the only money i spent on them at all was ordering print proofs of the print on demands and that that's it um so the my first game revenant world i mentioned earlier it's it's not the most impressive layout or anything it's it's a little bare bones but i did the layout in microsoft word you know, there's like you can do your layout in a word processor if you don't feel confident with with layout tools. But even if if you want a more robust option, there's free layout options or like very affordable ones. Our Minerva I laid out on the web-based tool Canva, mm-hmm. which it 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 can be finicky it has limitations compared to something like like uh, an adobe product or whatever but that also means it's a lot more streamlined it's less daunting to learn which is why i went for it because i i do have access to a a creative cloud account with adobe because my mother works in the school system so she gets Mm -hmm. it but i i just wasn't at the time prepared to to learn a whole new adobe product because they're so complex and there's all sorts of tutorials and stuff for them if you want to go through that but i just was not ready to learn a new tool like that and i saw someone online recommend canva it's 100 percent free it's really easy to use it has free stock photos built in and stock Mm -hmm. assets which are great like that that's another great free asset that you can have and then there's just you know alternatives to adobe that are you know cheaper than adobe because adobe is preposterously expensive especially if you don't have some sort of school account so i i think there's like i've heard a lot of talk about affinity i'm I'm not well versed in those tools because i've i've you know like, like i said i haven't I haven't endeavored to to learn complex tools at this point. Mm-hmm. But I think that's another good point is that like you may feel like you have to hire a layout artist and that can be a great resource that can be like a great partnership in the scene, but if that's daunting to you, you can make something that looks good in the free software that's like very intuitive and doesn't require you to watch 100 hours of YouTube tutorials to figure it out. And then the other really great resource that I had for Arminerva 
is the website Unsplash, which mm-hmm. has stock photography released under a custom license called the Unsplash license, which is similar to CC0. It's a non-attribution license. I, I think the only restriction on it is that you can't just like sell a poster of the of the images you download. You have to use it in something else. But otherwise, it, it's like very open. So like all of the photographs in the book in our Minerva are from either Unsplash or from Canva's asset free asset library. And then I, I did do the illustrations for all of my games in Photoshop, which it, as mentioned, preposterously expensive, but there's like tons of great cheaper free alternatives to that too. I can't remember the name, but I saw recently on Twitter, someone said that someone posted that there was an in-browser tool that recreated one for one all of the features of photoshop yeah so it's called p something it's i'll put it in the show notes it's it's, it's right, like great. photo p or something like that yeah so that 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 sounds fantastic i i, I don't even know how you do that because like <laughs> how do you even run photoshop in a browser photoshop takes up a bunch of my system resources but you know that's a that, that's a great free alternative i I can't remember at this point which of the other tools are are premium and which are free, but they're pretty much all cheaper than Photoshop at any rate, like uh, like Clip Studio Paint or like Mm -hmm. ToolSci or something. But yeah. Sorry, what were were you saying? What did you say? No, I was just saying, uh, in addition to to the softwares you've been using, if you want like an Illustrator alternative, there's also Inkscape that's out there that you can run. And then there's also GIMP. Uh, which is right. another Photoshop alternative. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And like you can, if you just Google like Adobe alternatives, there are like infographics that'll give you like 10 different options for every single product in the Adobe suite. So, yeah. And then like if you, I, I guess one of the other big like hurdles towards doing something on zero budget is that like not everybody is an illustrator. Like I, I, I feel like I'm kind of lucky. I've just been drawing since I was a little kid. So I've got some level of mastery enough that I can do my own illustrations, but you know, you, you don't need bespoke illustrations necessarily in your game. There's tons of great, like not even, even there's, there's tons of games that people love that, have hardly any illustrations that are laid out super plainly but even beyond that if you want like a very like art book looking game you can use that stock photography you can use there's like cc zero libraries of like old paintings and stuff which are fantastic mm-hmm. i think i've seen keegan exe using a lot mm-hmm. of like that sort of stuff like just like old illustrations that have no copyright on them. You just put them in your game. You can find them of like almost anything to fit whatever the theme and aesthetic of your game is. And then when you go to publish it, like I mentioned before, when I started out, I was publishing on drive through RPG. You just throw your stuff up there. I'm not as much of a fan of drive through RPG anymore since I've discovered itch. Itch.io does has a lower default cut that they take from you and you don't have to give them a cut at all. It's completely adjustable and they just have a much sleeker interface. It's way easier to use. 
I still host a drive through RPG page. I still put up my big games on there just because it has, it has good audience. Yeah. It has good SEO. It has its own discoverability and stuff. So I, I never promote to there and I just get a few random sales a month from people that completely organically discover the stuff on drive through RPG, even though like, so it's basically no work to like, you know, you, you do a little work to put it up once and then, you know, you'd, you can get some zero effort sales there, I guess, because it drives yeah. its own traffic. And then you can put your energy into advertising on, on the platform you prefer. And then if you want to, even if you want to publish a, a physical copy, what I did for my first couple games, I, I don't have these editions available anymore. I still haven't figured out like what I'm going to do with physical editions of my old games moving forward. But when they launched... I had them on Amazon through Amazon's Kindle Direct Publishing is what it's called. It, it's it's branded with Kindle, even though it's physical books. But you you that's the again the that's another one where the interface can be a little clunky. It can have weird uploading errors that are hard to diagnose. But once you get it up there, they just handle everything for you, and you can just tell people, "Hey, my book's on Amazon." That's a really it like the it's it's unfortunate to have to go through amazon just because of like who they are as a business Mm -hmm, uh but mm -hmm. there's no denying that it's like super accessible to potentially a larger audience like depending how you advertise and like who you're trying to get to buy your game it could like if it's somebody who isn't like big into the indie scene it feels like it can be easier to be like Oh yeah, just hop on Amazon and get it. You you already have an Amazon account. You have Amazon Prime. You can get my book through Amazon Prime. Versus like, all right, you got to go on this website called Drive Through RPG. I know yeah. the website yeah. looks like it hasn't been updated since the year two thousand, but trust mm-hmm. me, it's safe. And you have to make an account, and then you have to select the print on demand option. Yeah. So that's that can be kind of a hurdle. But, you know, that is still a good point, though. DriveThruRPG also offers print-on-demand. I've heard the uploading... And I've taken a look at it a little bit, and I've heard other people talk about it. The uploading process to that print-on-demand service is even clunkier than Amazon's, like, by a lot. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a little unfortunate. But, yeah. but it's there. You can find tutorials to help you figure out how to do it. And, uh, yeah, so that, that allows you to basically... Because those are print-on-demand options, it gives you the ability to have your book perpetually available for as long as you want to have it available, and you don't have to buy any stock to start with. You don't have to handle the shipping to anybody. You just list it up there, and then you get the royalties from it. The Yeah, I, I feel like I had another note on that, but I'm not sure. That's all right. That's all right. Yeah, I've for oh oh yeah, I was gonna say I, I mentioned that my one cost was print on demand proofs, which is just when you you know, when you first set up your book, you can before you push it live, you can order a copy that will show you what the copy will look like when it goes out to other people. You technically don't have to do that, but it it's probably a good idea to do that in case there was any mm-hmm. catastrophic issue you didn't notice. But usually those copies come to you like at cost, like you don't have to pay the distributors like portion of it, you know, so it can Mm -hmm. be relatively cheap, especially if you're doing paperback, especially if you're not doing a book that's hundreds and hundreds of pages. So yeah, that, that is, those are all like great resources for doing things completely no cost. 
for Arma Nerva, I, I, I went a little more all out with the physical editions because I was having trouble finding a print-on-demand route that could print such a big book in the format that I wanted it because it's like 525 pages. I kind of needed it to be hardcover because softcover just doesn't work that well with that many pages. Yeah. And I had designed it with, I had laid it out with this uh, square format in mind. So it had to find services that could, that could do the the square book and everything. So I, I ended up, instead of doing print on demand, I just have it where you can buy it direct from my itch page because they let you set up uh, physical rewards and like ask people for an address and stuff. And I just maintain like a very small stock here at home because like uh, I'm still printing them on demand from the service where I have it set up. If that makes sense. I just don't have Mm -hmm. it listed for people to buy it directly from there. That service I ended up using is Lulu. That's the, the easiest setup of a book I've ever done and the highest quality book I've ever had printed. So I recommend them. They are a bit pricey and because our Minerva is such a huge book and I didn't, opt to do like an offset print run that means that the books are quite expensive it's like a very positioned as a very premium like boutique product because that's just what it needed to be to be as as nice as i wanted it to be but uh, yeah i i think lulu's good and lulu does have like a print on demand storefront that you can list stuff on but with how expensive the printing costs turn out to be for these books for them to list it on their storefront and then also have to take their cut from it would have made it even more expensive than I'm selling it for on my itch. So I didn't opt mm-hmm. to put it up with that. I'll just, I'm just handling the the shipping for the first time ever, which has been interesting. International stuff you had to deal with yet? Not yet. I, I have it listed on the itch page of like, where it's like the, the, the cost includes us shipping. If you need international shipping, message me so I can tell you how much to add to the thing. So I, I haven't, haven't had to deal with that yet, but hopefully it won't be too much of a hassle. Yeah. Those are all, those are all beautiful tips. And I, you know, I think that in a lot of our Kickstarter slash you know, Patreon models or crowdfunding models or all of our crowdfunding alternatives. I think sometimes we can, what is the phrase? Lose sight of the forest and the trees is the other way around. Lose sight of the trees and the forest. I don't remember. I'm not good uh, at phrases. Yeah. What? Now I'm confused which way it is. I thought I knew it. <laughs> M- miss, miss the forest for the trees. Is that it? Yeah. 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 Okay, uh, okay. That you can like, Honestly, just put up a product and call it a day. You know what I mean? Like you don't, you can, you can make a thing, put it up and then it's done. You don't have to crowd. You don't have to think of a stretch goal. You don't have to think of like an enhancement goal per like itch funding things. And you can just, you can just do that. That's also an option. And sometimes even I forget about that. Like, oh, I should totally like itch fund this or like I could, I could do that. But like, or I could just charge 10 bucks, 10 bucks for this and call it a day. Just be done. This is what it it is. And it feels good to be like, all right, I finished my game and now I've published it and now that's finished. Now I don't have, I don't have another 30 days of running the Kickstarter and then Mm -hmm. like managing all the funds and all that stuff. I just, I finished it and now it's out there and people can get it and it's great. Yeah. I guess uh, one, one potential downside, which is also, I think has been discussed as a downside of itch funding 
is mm-hmm. that Kickstarter can offer a marketing push that, yeah. that like itch funding can't um, keep can't match. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't have a great solution to that with, with like a, a zero budget game. You know, the, the most effective marketing I've figured out is just talk to people about your game, post about it, post about other people's games that you like, you know, talk to people whose games that you like and see if they like your games. And that's, that's yeah. as best as I've figured it out so far. Build up um, the circle. Yeah. Come on to the draw your dice podcast. You know, whatever. absolutely. So, yeah. Well, I think those are, that's a beautiful set of topics and all those, some, not, maybe not all those. Cause the, sh- well, maybe all those, I don't know what the show notes are going to look like for this one in particular. There's a ton of cool <laughs> people and resources that are on this list right now. And I'm like, man, this is like 20 things. Are people going to actually like go to all these? So I'll do some, I'll do some vetting of those and put up some really cool ones, like to the primary of this episode, probably stuff like Inkscape and Canva and everything like that. All the zero dollar resources, but I think with that, you've pretty much covered like both a trends thing and a tips thing all in one go because you sort of talked about so. the the trend of crowdfunding and sort of a tip of like, hey, what if not crowdfunding, you know? <laughs> and I think that's going to bring us to the to the top of this show. We're at uh, almost uh, 145 minutes. 145 minutes? That is not how you read time, Jeremy. <laughs> An hour 44. Jesus Christ. H. Hey, Clove, why don't you take us out by telling people where they can find you, get in touch with you again, feel free to plug anything again. Again, all of these notes will be down below in the show notes for your access to get in touch with Clove. Absolutely. So, yeah, my Twitter again is at Clove RPG, real simple. And if you only want to see promotional tweets, that's at Revenant World. And my itch page is vagabondpenandpaper.itch.io. That's, of course, and spelled out. Vagabondpenandpaper.itch.io. I also have the DriveThruRPG store, but like I said, I, I, I don't try to push people towards that because it already hogs the SEO when you Google Vagabond Pen and Paper. It already comes up above the itch. So I'm hoping I can... I'm hoping the itch one will, will overtake it at some point. So everybody, everybody search Vagabond Pen and Paper and click on the itch link to, to boost that SEO for me. Send me, them and, clicks. Send them clicks. And any other uh, like places that you would find me would, would end up being linked from my itch page and my uh, Twitter at CloveRPG. So, so that, that wraps it up. Amazing. Well, everyone... Thank you for sitting down and joining us today. I've had an absolute blast talking with Clove about a really amazing game. I hope you've had a good time as well. And we will catch you in the next episode. Uh, Say bye to the people, Clove. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Bye. All right, that's a wrap. Thank you for taking the time to sit down and hang out with Clove and I. We really appreciate it. You can find links and resources down below in the show notes, such as getting in touch with Clove or other episodes with similar topics. If you want to be a part of the conversation, please come and join the community Discord server. Also, make sure to subscribe to the Draw Your Dice Patreon, where you can get access to early releases of episodes from as soon as we interview. Thanks again for stopping by, and as always, I will catch you next time.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.